Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We just dropped a bonus episode for our patrons, a group that we like to call the Inner Circle of Freaks, and in that episode, Kat told the harrowing story of her most recent plane flight. I love how you say plane flight, like I frequently fly in other ways, like <laughs> her most recent hot air balloon flight or yeah, blimp well, flight. I'm the same guy that calls the ATM the ATM machine, <laughs> even though the M represents the word machine, but yet for some reason that's acceptable. That's ATM machine is acceptable. To who? Everybody. In fact, I see Disagreeing. signs that say ATM machine and with an arrow pointing toward it. That doesn't mean it's acceptable. Anyway, tell us about how you almost died on a plane. Okay, so I was heading to Maine and I flew into Augusta, which I've never done before. Uh, Bangor and Portland both have bigger airports. Augusta's kind of situated in between and so it's not really a necessity to fly into Augusta. But I was going to visit my sister who lives near Augusta. So I was like, all right, I'll just fly directly into Augusta. Mm -hmm. And that was a mistake. Because <laughs> when I was in Boston, they called my name and said I needed to recheck for the flight, which I've never had to do before. So I went up to the counter and they wanted to weigh my bags. And there were both carry-ons. So that was kind of weird. Huh. And then after they weighed them, they asked how much I weighed. <gasps> that would have been a real alarming moment for me. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Um, so I told them. And then they started calling our flight and said, you know, we're ready to board. And like, Six people got up and got into the hallway where they're leading us out. Um, and I realized as we walked out onto the tarmac that it was because that's all the people that could fit on this plane. This was a sold out flight. Yes. Of six people. Oh, Lordy. So I had to sit in the front right behind the captain and straddle <laughs> her chair. This ch plane was so small that I was straddling her seat. Your feet were in the pilot's lap. My left knee was in between her and her window. 
and it was actively raining on me the whole flight. <laughs> and then because I was flying into Maine, the weather was terrible. After our allotted flight time had already passed, we realized, oh, something's amiss. And our co-pilot took off his headset and turned around and was like, oh, hey, we can't land. The weather's too bad. And so we're all like, cool, that sounds great. And, and he's like, we're just going to fly you into Rockland instead, and we'll figure out some way to get you to Augusta. Now, was it at this moment that the captain started laughing maniacally? Oh, no, she did. She laughed maniacally when she took off. Uh. And then right about the point that we started heading to Rockland. <laughs> and she's also applying very heavily scented hand lotion the whole flight, <laughs> which was very upsetting. And you can actually see out the windshield of the cockpit. Yes. Or the flight deck or whatever they call it these days. Yeah, it was unnerving. For sure. I can also see our flight time counter, which was actually kind of nice. So we get to Rockland and the time that they told us it would take to get there had already passed. So I was like, something's up because I'm watching that flight time counter. So the co-pilot grabs a pen and pulls out this book and um, they start doing math. Which is very <laughs> concerning. Are they trying to figure out if they have enough fuel at I don't this point? No. Oh, Lord. But I hated it. And then the co pilot took off his headset again, turned back around, and was like, oh, hey, it's actually worse here, so we can't land and we're going to head back to Augusta. Can you tell the others? <laughs> so the lady next to me turned around and was like, we can't land here either. <laughs> and it was terrifying. And then we landed in the smallest airport in the history of the world. Uh -huh. And uh, the man just handed me my luggage and I uh, went away from there yep. quickly. Yeah. Well, I think I speak for all of the freak family when I'm when I say I'm glad you're not dead. Thank you. You're welcome. Me too. Do you have a story for me? <clears throat> Everyday items, things that we constantly see, tend to disappear into the background. And it's very easy to just kind of accept them as they are. Curtains. Not, yeah. Not question the history behind these objects, which can be sometimes odd or bizarre that led to the way that these products were made. It's interesting to see how the use of everyday items has changed and evolved over the years. Things that are common, things that you see all the time, like fireplaces, for example. Today, fireplaces, for the most part, are an aesthetic addition to a newer home. Very few houses now rely solely on fireplaces for heat. Uh, this time of year, especially, people like to turn the fireplace on. And I say that because most people don't chop wood. They, uh, they, And I know there are people. Please don't send emails. Mm -hmm. um, but most people in newer homes have gas fireplaces, and they just turn it on. It creates a cozy atmosphere. We don't have that here, so I, I use the uh, the fireplace program on Netflix. Uh, that works pretty well for me. Yeah, I like the gentle crackle. People only use their fireplaces for the most part, sparingly. But back in medieval times, fireplaces commonly were kept lit and burning constantly, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for multiple generations. Whoa. The fires would never go out for decades. I suppose that makes sense, especially if you live in a big drafty stone house. Yeah, it's amazing to think that a fire could be lit and kept going for 60 years or more in some cases. Now, everybody's familiar with the iconic Bic ballpoint pen. 
I think the technical name for the one I'm talking about is the Bic Crystal. It's that clear ballpoint pen that has the blue cap on the end of it. Yeah, yeah. With a little pocket tab protruding from the end. Absolutely. Have you ever noticed in the end of the cap there's a hole? I have noticed that. What's that for? It's so that you don't choke to death on it. That's exactly right. But for a long time, people, there was kind of a popular explanation that was kind of uh, circulating that Bic did this on purpose so that it would dry the ink out faster. (laughs) And you'd have to buy more pens. But no, it's, uh, it's to protect a child. If a child were to swallow the cap, uh, the hole on the end would ensure that they could still breathe until the cap could be removed. Well done, Bic. Thank you. Oh, I thought you were saying well done to me. Well, well done to you, too. <sighs> I remember watching Apollo 13, the movie. Apollo, well, I saw I, I watched the original Apollo 13 as well uh, when it took <laughs> off. But um, I watched the movie and... Um, With Tom Hanks? Yeah, and they're giving a tour in the movie of NASA, and they're describing the Apollo guidance computer. And the comment was, maybe someday we'll be able to fit a computer this powerful into one room. <laughs> <laughs> in the late 1960s, the Apollo guidance computer cost $3.5 million wow. a piece. And that's $1969 dollars. And they landed men on the moon using these computers that uh, has a clock function amazingly slow by today's cell phone standards. Now, the information that I have doesn't even compare the Apollo guidance computer clock speed with our current cell phones, the newer ones like the iPhone 14s or whatever. It compares it to an iPhone 6. Oh, wow. Okay. And if you take the clock function of an iPhone 6, and, and remember, we're way advanced past iPhone 6, but the iPhone 6, you take the clock function, it's comparable to sending 120 million simultaneous Apollo-era spacecraft to the moon and back. And I'm pretty sure you can get a shitload of iPhones to fit in a room. Simply amazing. So what you're saying is the... The computing power of an iPhone 6... Computing power, that's the term I was looking for. ...would be able to launch and control 120 million Apollo-era spacecraft simultaneously... Got it. ...to the moon and back with just the power of an iPhone 6. That's wild. Do you ever wonder where the word salary came from? I assume it came from salamanders. You assume wrong in this case. Because uh, I have frequently requested to be paid in salamanders, (laughs) and no one has done it. (laughs) It comes from ancient Roman times, the word salary does, not salamanders. Salt was so valuable. Oh, yes. That's right. It was used as currency. They paid soldiers in rations of salt. And from the word salt, salary, evolved. Well, the Spanish word for salt is sal, S-A-L. There you go. Also, the word salad came from salt. The same Romans, about the same period, they'd sprinkle their greens with salt to improve the flavor, and that became salad. Oh, and salamander. (laughs) I don't know. A UN report was issued recently. And they determined that out of the world's 7 billion people, 2.5 billion people do not have access to a modern toilet. Oh, my gosh. In a separate report, it's been determined that out of 7 billion people on the planet Earth, 
6 billion people have mobile phones. What? So that means that there are twice as many people with cell phones than toilets. That is hard to imagine. Isn't that incredible? No place to take a shit, but you can check TikTok. This I found really fascinating. The history of high heels. Oh. Originally, they were not for women. Sometime around the 10th century, first millennia, somebody recognized that if you were riding a horse, your foot would stay in the stirrup better if your shoe had a slightly raised heel. Sure. And so this caught on quickly, and it was not long before entire armies were thundering into battle wearing pumps. (laughs) And it wasn't until about 700 years later that they became a fashion trend in Europe for both men and women. And the reason was because if you owned a horse, that was a symbol of higher social status. So wearing high-heeled shoes suggested you were a person of means. That doesn't really translate to these days, does it? Not so much. Oh, I love your Louboutins. (laughs) You got some horses. (laughs) It's not really how it works. You don't really go riding with Jimmy Choo's. (laughs) Both men and women started wearing high heels about Well, the 1700s, they fell out of fashion with men quite quickly, but the trend continues in women's fashion to this day, and it can be traced back to the 10th century. Well, that's really interesting. I thought so. Here's one I think that you'll know the answer to. Okay. Why do they call a preview for an upcoming movie a trailer? Um... I think because they used to follow the movie. Yes. They didn't come first. Yep. Nowadays, they're commonly run before the feature film, but they've been around since 1913. Wow. And were originally run at the end of the movie. Now, here's the reason why. In the early days, they'd get a print of a movie, and you can imagine it was a big deal, especially in smaller areas. So it was not uncommon for them to run the movie and then immediately rerun the movie and do it several times. So they needed something to run while they rewound the films. And that's the original function of a movie trailer was to give people something to watch while they rewound the, rewound the feature film. Uh-huh. Cordy keyboards, or as Kat used to call them, Cordy. Cordy keyboards. Cordy keyboards. Shut up. Why are the letters on a computer keyboard so randomly placed? The Cordy design. Why is that? Here's the reason. When typewriters were invented in 1872, people learned to type pretty quickly and also faster than the typewriters could respond. The typewriters would frequently jam. You remember the old-fashioned typewriters where the stick would come up with the uh, the letter on it and it would punch the yep. ribbon? Yeah. Well, people started typing so fast that typewriters frequently jammed. Yeah, because the two sticks would get caught yep. together. Exactly. And they wouldn't return to the row mm-hmm. of s- stick. The stick row. The stick row. So rather than improve the quality and the response time, of a typewriter, they thought, we'll just slow the typists down. So they just randomly scattered letters around the keyboard. That's not true. (laughs) According to my sources, it is. And even though that's no longer an issue, the QWERTY keyboard has been adopted in, obviously, both modern computer keyboards and smartphones. Now, I want you to picture in your mind, Mm -hmm. visualize a pencil. Yes. What color is it? It's blue. And it has no eraser. Uh, it's just that metal end. And every time I try to erase with it, it tears the paper. And Did it's you, the only pencil I can ever find. Were you a, uh, an eraser chewer as a kid? Uh, no. Ugh. 
No, but I, it's yellow. Of course it is. Yeah, most people think yellow. And there's a reason for that. When pencils were invented, the highest quality graphite, it's graphite, not lead, of course, that makes the mark. The highest quality graphite that you could buy came from China. So consequently, pencils with Chinese graphite were the highest quality pencils and most sought after. So to make sure people knew at a glance that they were Chinese graphite pencils, they started coloring them yellow, which was the traditional Chinese color of royalty. Oh. I love shit like that. Me too. This one you're going to love. Because how many times has this happened to us? We've ordered something from Amazon and maybe it was something relatively small, like a bottle of uh, super glue, and it came in a great big box. Oh, that drives me crazy. So annoying. It comes in a box way much bigger than is needed, than it needs to be in. And you're thinking, damn it, Amazon, you're being so wasteful. But the reason they do this is because of Amazon's incredibly complex shipping algorithm. It takes into account the size of the vehicle that the packages are being shipped in as well as the size of the other packages that are going to the same destination or the same town, same location. Even if the item is way too small for the assigned box size, it's designed so that all the boxes will fit together tightly and the packages will not uh, slide around. And this actually saves on fuel costs and is ultimately more environmentally friendly, offsetting any wasted cardboard. Really? Or is that just something that they tell you? I don't know. Maybe they're just making that crap up. I don't know, but that sounds reasonable. It does. What's a paper town? You know what a paper town is. You grew up in a paper town. Oh, like a mill town? A mill town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of people in Maine would call the many towns that produced pulp and paper back in the day. But it's not necessarily a town that manufactures paper, although it could be a paper town. In this case, is a fictitious town that map makers will put on their maps as a copyright trap. Ooh, I love that. So if any other company takes their map and reprints it or steals it or whatever... They could tell because there was a fake paper town on the map. Arglo, New York, was an example of a paper town. Arglo? I'm sorry, Aglo. A-G-L-O-E, Aglo, New York. And it's said that in the early days, a man built a general store on that location. And reading the map, he named his store Aglo General Store, not knowing that Aglo really didn't exist. Oh, ha ha, this is my map. It's got a torrid right on there. My information came from Wikipedia and a really fascinating article by Alex Daniel that was on bestlifeonline.com. Well, I always love that shit. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle when disneyland opened in 1955 there were five themed neighborhoods adventureland frontierland fantasyland main street usa and tomorrowland when Tomorrowland opened in 1955, it was designed to look like a year in the distant future. 1986. Colleen sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. Heard the letter you read the other day about the pronunciation of Newfoundland, which I hear pronounced several ways here in Ontario. Generally, Newfoundland, the emphasis is on the new. Anyway, I feel the writer set you up a bit because Pouch Cove is actually pronounced Pooch Cove. Oh my goodness. I called it Pouch Cove too, but my sister-in-law lived there and says it's Pooch Cove. Thanks for the podcast, Colleen. Pooch Cove. Pooch Who Cove. Who would have guessed that? Not me. And then we got another email saying that my pronunciation of Newfoundland was dead on and that I sounded like a local. Oh, look at you. I got home from Maine and immediately went to the UPS store because we had packages. And after a certain number of days, they start to charge you and I didn't want to get charged. Right. So I got the packages and we had a few things that were gifties. And I'm so excited. Uh, one from Sonia in Minnesota. They sent us the Morbid Anatomy Anthology. And it is just 
a beautiful book. Well, I'm looking at the um, the illustration on the cover, and it's a woman who has been um, splayed open, shall we say? Yeah, you can see her, her the inside of her tum-tum. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's right on the cover, so you know it's going to be a good book. That's right. Also, incredible gifts for the dogs from Rick and Steve. We got a really nice card from the Minitels. A card from Lacey in Washington. We're just so grateful for you guys. Thank you so much. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know if your dog eats half a box of milk chocolates, you can get it to throw up by giving it a tablespoon of hydrogen peroxide? Want to see photos of what happens? This is The Box of Oddities. The family Tyrannosauridea contains nine known animals, and it's believed that the genus Daspletosaurus were the progenitors of the genus Tyrannosaur. Now, Tyrannosaurids are characterized by massive skulls, those big thick teeth and short front limbs, which I've seen a lot of TikToks lately saying that they were actually wings, but most scientific reports say that that's just not the case. And the legs aren't on backwards. It's not a chicken. (laughs) The earliest ancestors of Tyrannosaurus rex are thought to be Aliamorus remotus. They lived about 170 million years ago in the late Cretaceous period. Their adult size is difficult to estimate since both Aliamorus species are known only from their juvenile or sub-adult remains. It's estimated, though, that they would have been about 5 to 6 meters long and anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 pounds. And about person height. 1,000 to 1,500 pounds. So the size of in the weight of a big horse. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're, it's weird to say small, but comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because of course T-Rex was much bigger, up to 40 feet in length and 12 feet in height and around 15,000 pounds. No Mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. Now, during the Cretaceous, many dinosaur families are represented by multiple closely related species. And it was thought previously that they lived at the same time, which would be evidence of branching evolution. But as we continue to uncover more fossil remains, there is a wealth of new specimens, and we get better at dating, so we have a better idea of when each of these species lived and their placement in time. So it's changed what we think. Many of these species are actually very finely separated in time from each other, showing an anagenesis mode of evolution, which is kind of like a consecutive ladder-like step in a singular evolutionary lineage where one ancestral species evolves directly into a descendant species, as opposed to a cladogenesis uh, where successive branching events may have produced more species that are closely related and would live at the same time period. And they would appear more like cousins rather than ancestors or descendants. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by dinosaurs, as oh, yeah. most kids are, sure. to the point where I would, my, my mom and dad taught at a local liberal arts college, and uh, I would go over and sit in on college-level classes on archaeology, <laughs> and I was pissed if it wasn't about dinosaurs. Sure. I wanted to be an archaeologist. Yeah, me Imagine too. how thoroughly disappointed my parents were. No, uh... May a little, a yeah. little, yeah, yeah. We were just discussing the other day that I think that the most common theme on our Christmas tree is dinosaurs. <laughs> I think I've got more dinosaurs than anything else. I love that. Barely beating out Santa's, of course, but still, the newest is a pterodactyl, and I love him. What was I saying? Oh, yes. There is a lack, though, of substantial fossil remains, which limits the possibility of drawing connections from Aliamoris to T-Rex until now. Paleontologists from the Badlands Dinosaur Museum in North Dakota uncovered parts of a fossilized skull and skeletal fragments. It all started when John Jack P. Wilson, which I don't understand the nickname Jack for someone named John at all. It's the same length. Why? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Bob and Robert, that makes sense. Absolutely. William, Bill. John Jack. Hmm. Yeah. Jack spotted a flat piece of bone projecting from the bottom of a cliff. And this bone was the middle part of a nostril of a tyrannosaur. And so his team painstakingly worked between 2017 and 2021. It was buried beneath 26 feet of solid rock. And the team actually named the specimen Sisyphus before they had him thoroughly uncovered because it was taking so much effort to uncover this stupid dinosaur. And Sisyphus was the Greek character who was forced by Hades to push a boulder up a mountain for eternity. The process was so laborious and it took so long that that was the only thing that they could think of. The fragments included a rib and toe bone that date to about 76.5 million years ago during the Cretaceous period. And this skeleton is now known as 
Dasplodosaurus wilsoni. Dasplodosaurus wilsoni means Wilson's frightful reptile, named after Wilson, the guy who found that nostril. Um, he discovered the specimen, and this fella has a prominent set of horns. Dasplodosaurus, not Wilson. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you so, for clarifying that. Yeah, you're welcome. I had all kinds of weird mental imagery dancing through my noggin. The horns were around the eye, as well as tall eye sockets and expanded air pockets in the skull. So that is a mix of features found in more primitive tyrannosaurs from older rocks and features otherwise known from later members of the group, including T-Rex. So primitive features plus future features means middle, right? Missing link. Yes. Did I yell that a little bit? Sorry. <laughs> now, as I said, reconstructing the evolutionary relationships of Dasplodosaurus to T-Rex and previous has been hampered by the fact that there aren't a lot of good specimens. And there are researchers who disagree as to whether these Tyrannosaurids do represent a single lineage. But many believe that Wilsoni is a halfway point or a missing link between older and younger Tyrannosaur species. And he is so cute. He's got this big, fat, round head. like uh, Just the thing to brighten up our Christmas tree. I love him. So this suggests that previous research was correct in identifying several species of Dasplodosaurus as a single evolving lineage, adding Tyrannosaurus to a growing list of dinosaurs, like horned and duck-billed dinosaurs, for which linear evolution has been proposed. And it seems to suggest that linear evolution is more widespread in dinosaurs, with branching evolution being less frequent than previously thought. And it makes a lot of sense that this would come with our increased knowledge, that we would be able to differentiate between time yeah. periods and the evolution of these animals. And it's just really exciting is all. It's very fascinating. Another thing that's fascinating to me is that uh, dinosaurs weren't really identified as dinosaurs until 1824. They found fossils in 1819. And prior to that, any weird bones that were dug up, they assumed that it was proof that uh, dragons existed. I mean, you're not terribly far off. No, no. Maybe the legend of dragons is some sort of a evolutionary echo that we've carried in our genes and DNA. What? I don't know. Sounded good when a I Apatosaurus kind of looks like a dragon. Oh, yeah. It's got that long neck yep. and the long tail. But I shudder to think that anyone ever uh, dug up, like, a T-Rex skeleton and just, like, chucked it to the side and went, oh, more dragons. <laughs> so, so upsetting. <laughs> Every time I try to put in a new foundation, fucking dragon dragons everywhere. I got most of my information from the journal Paleontology and Evolutionary Science, Indian Express, Fizz.org, Sci.News, and Good News Network, which my friend Stephanie sent me. Thank you very much. We love it when you guys hang out with us. We appreciate you so, so much. We hope that your holiday season is merry and bright and that your Yuletide is gay or whatever. However you celebrate. It's okay with us. Hell, it's okay if you don't celebrate. Anyway, bye. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Or not, it's up to you. It's totally up to you. <laughs> and so, 
let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story. It's unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.